Well, this morning after a three-month hiatus, we return to the book of Acts. We left off at the end of chapter 10. Peter had been summoned in chapter 10 to, to the house of a Roman centurion named Cornelius. Uh, he is introduced to us and explained to us in chapter 10 and verse 2. He was a devout man, one who feared God with all his household who gave alms at his charitable gifts generously to the people and prayed to God always. A devout man who feared God, charitable in his giving, in the case of the needy, prayed to God always. In verse 22, when his messengers came to, to Peter, they said of Cornelius, he was a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews. So quite a pedigree, quite a name that he had developed for himself. We described him last time that he was a very religious man. A very religious man, but he was not a saved man. He had not encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in a works type of mentality so God in his grace and his mercy in chapter 10 and verses 4 through 7 visits him in a vision though all all he had done all the charitable gifts all the prayers all the helping of the needy and his kindnesses to the Jews. All that. It was not enough. Everyone who would know him would consider him good. But he could not be saved by works. It would take the word of God. The gospel of Christ. Note in chapter 10 and in verse 6, he's told about Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He, Peter, will tell you what you must do. Now that's a, uh, an all right translation. But I think we can improve upon that with this. He will tell you what is necessary. Peter will tell you what is necessary. That's a very important distinction. And as his messengers went to get Peter, Peter himself had a vision. Chapter, verses, chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. And it's interesting because if you remember as we read it, the vision contained food, a sheet with all kinds of animals, four-legged and otherwise. I don't know if there was a kangaroo on there. That would have been in it. Is a kangaroo considered two-legged or four? Well, we have other things to consider. But it seems very strange that here on this sheet and 
all these different animals, some that were considered clean and unclean, and God tells him to rise, to kill, and to eat. And of course, Peter, Peter says, not so, I've never eaten anything unclean. But there was something going on here. Of course, it pointed to the fact that dietary regulations that were part of the ceremonial law were in Christ now fulfilled. Why the sheet with the various animals? Well, because where is Peter going to go? He's going to go to Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a Gentile. The Jews don't go into a Gentile's house because, and especially stay there because you might have to end up eating with them. And they will produce and bring to the table unclean food. And so we understand that Peter is going there. He's going to be there for some days. He will eat with them. And he will eat whatever is placed before him. And the whole idea was that the company you kept would dictate the food you would eat. So Peter's response in chapter 10, verse 13 <clears throat> voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Well, this is not only a very key issue for Peter, but we will see how key it was also for those to whom Peter will report to. So Cornelius and his household, his relatives and close friends are in place, eager to do what? Well, to meet Peter, the great celebrity? No, they certainly are happy that he's there, but they say to him, we are present before you, before God, to hear all the things that God has commanded you. All the things commanded you by God. That's why they sent for him. That's what they were looking for. And that's how chapter 10 closes. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Now, some will look at that and say, well, what a beautiful congregation that is for Peter to preach to. That shouldn't be abnormal. That should be very normal. That shouldn't be the exception. It should be the rule. Imagine some folks coming and say, well, today we might even sit and listen to the sermon. That is, if, if we don't have games on our phones or some other thing to look at or Facebook to check or all the various other things that people do these days to occupy themselves. But we are all present before God to do what? To hear, which means what? Peter is going to speak the word of God to them. So as we are at the end of verse 33, the end of Cornelius speaking, 
now in verse 34, Peter begins to speak. There are constant references to hearing and the word. And as Peter begins his message to them, verse 36 The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Note again, verse 37, that word, you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. So there's the repetition of the word and beginning at verse 38 through verse 43, he gives us the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 43, to him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. There it is. That's what Cornelius was missing. He was doing all these things to honor God But he was still a sinner who had not been forgiven because he had not proceeded and been given understanding of the way of salvation through Jesus Christ. So he's missing belief in Christ for the remission of sins. Devout is a great word. They described him in chapter 10 as a devout person, devout man. And that's the thing. Devout is a great word, but notice what followed was the word man. And the word man means though he was devout, he was still, therefore, a sinner. So in chapter 10 and verse 44, while Peter was still speaking, these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard what? The word. The Holy Spirit <clears throat> fell on all those who heard the word. This is now the second of two major movements of the spread of the gospel beyond the Jews. The first was with the Samaritans in chapter 8 and verse 14. And again, as we look, they had received what? The word of God. Now, in chapter 10, the Gentiles had now received also the word of God. There are some who want to major on the effects because while Peter was speaking, verse 44, while he was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Then verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Well, see, once we get to that point, there are some who forget everything about verses 44 and 45, and they look at verse 46. You see, aha, they spoke in tongues. There will always be those who want to major on the effects, particularly the speaking in different languages, but that's to major on a minor. The major point is that the word of God had come to the Gentiles and had taken root in their hearts. That's the thing. 
That's the most important thing. The effects, we say, okay, that's, that's nice and all, but the reality and the thing that should be most highly praised and taken from that is the Word of God had moved by the Spirit of God into the heart of the hearers. And if we take away and start majoring on the effects, then we miss the major thing that had taken place. There will be only one more time in the book of Acts that tongues will be mentioned. And that will be in chapter 19. But there will be many, many occasions of salvation in the rest of the book. Now with this in mind, what we need to rejoice is, is in the way the Holy Spirit confirmed the word that was spoken and the work of the word spreading throughout these new areas and peoples. You say, well, yeah, that happened in that first century. And that one. That's still the way it happens today. The word of God through the spirit of God into the hearts of the hearers. That hasn't changed and there's no way you can change it. And there's no artificial intelligence that can bring it to pass. When Peter went to Cornelius' house, he took six men with him. Well, that's significant in that this would prove important as six would more than fulfill the instructions in the law in Deuteronomy that in the mouth of two or three witnesses everything should be established. Well, now there would be double the required number. In chapter 10 and verse 47, Peter asks, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we? Before we go any further, though, I want to stop at verse 45 of chapter 10 for just a moment. <clears throat> and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter. Why were they astonished? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. There are many of them, if they hadn't seen it, would be at this point grabbing the thumbs because they would have an upset stomach to think that such a thing would happen to Gentiles. They were astonished because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles also. I think on that for a moment. And it reminds us that there's no such place, no such thing as a Christian monopoly. There's no such country. There's no such territory. There's no place on the world that has a monopoly on Christianity. And people talk a lot about Christian nations. But in all actuality, there are nations with Christians in them. That's a reality. But there's no places where there's a monopoly on Christianity. And as we come to chapter 11 now, 
Peter stayed a few days with Cornelius and Cornelius' people. Meanwhile, news has traveled very quickly to Jerusalem because it's not a far uh, travel from where Peter was to back to Jerusalem. News hit the surrounding area of Jerusalem, Judea, and then it went to Jerusalem. And it shows us then that the apostles had set up churches outside of Jerusalem into the Judean area. So by the time Peter returns, the apostles and the brethren heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Chapter 11, verse 1, now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So what's the response? Well, here's Peter coming back from being at Cornelius's. There's great movement of God amongst the Gentiles now. And so they have a big parade for Peter. Banners and are waving and people are cheering. Peter gets a hero's welcome as he comes into Jerusalem. Peter, what a great job. God has blessed you. We're behind you. Thank you, Peter, for going out there doing that great work. Now, verse 2 tells us, when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him. Contended, disputed, complained, and quarreled with him. And notice the big issue. It had nothing to do with the Gentiles receiving the word of God or the work of the Holy Spirit or anything like that. What's first and foremost on their mind? Verse 3, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now remember earlier we spoke that Peter seeing the sheep and the different kinds of food and and we said, that seems like a strange thing to be bringing up, and why is this such a, a big issue? You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Because, Peter, we know if you stayed with them, you ate with them. And here's a great problem. If your religion consists of ceremony, of rituals, and externals, you're on dangerous ground. See how they are identified. Those of the circumcision, and in some translations, those of the circumcision party. Converted Jews and proselytes. You see, if you were a Jew and you wanted to become a Jew, one of the first things you had to do was be circumcised. It's the only way you could be a covenant member of God's people in their minds. So you have those who were Jews and those who had converted to Judaism and they all were together with one voice with the idea that, oh man, you ate the Gentiles. These of the circumcision had come to believe and yet at the same time, what it was was not really a teaching anymore. It was a tradition. Because it was a tradition, 
And I say it because it was part of the ceremonial law. Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law. So circumcision meant nothing. Because now the moral law is that which everything is decided upon. The ceremonial law, how I'm going to be clean before God and accepted before God, that's taken place in Christ. That's what it pointed to. He fulfills it. So it doesn't matter if somebody's circumcised or uncircumcised. But that tradition is so entrenched. And they kept circumcision as a necessity for salvation. And these people would stir up much turmoil and strife. Eventually, we would see that the issue would have to be resolved by a ruling of the Jerusalem elders. And these people would become known as the party of the circumcision or simply Judaizers. Paul would address the problem to the church in Galatia, which seemed to have more of an issue with it than any of the surrounding churches. And if we turn to Galatians chapter 5, in verses 1 through 8, Paul writes this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made, you, made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I, indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. That is, if you take part in an external ritual to make yourself acceptable to God, then you bypass Christ. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. If you're going to use the law to make yourself right, then you've got to use the whole law and do it perfectly. You become entangled or strange from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Now that's not a line about losing your salvation. What it is is you're using a whole different route to make yourself acceptable to God to get yourself saved. You're not relying on the grace of God through Jesus Christ. You're relying on your works. For we, through the Spirit, are eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But faith, working through love. And before we leave Galatians, if we turn back to chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the gospel of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be a cursed anathema as we I've said before, and now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Let him be condemned. Let him be without relief, eternally condemned, with unending woes, lost and unredeemable. Well, you know, that's a problem they were dealing with back then. And we don't have those issues anymore. We don't worry about circumcision or uncircumcision or anything else. But notice the core of what Peter's getting at. If anyone comes to you with a different gospel, 
And all around us, there are people with different gospels. I've pointed out any number of times, but at the Seventh-day Adventists, they bring another gospel. How's that? Well, they have dietary laws. You've got to keep the Old Testament dietary laws. Stay away from pork, all that other stuff. You realize, I think we've gone over this before, but I realize that not everybody remembers everything I say. Sometimes I don't remember what I say. You've heard of Post Serial, right? C.W. Post, Seventh-day Adventist. You've heard of Kellogg. What was Kellogg? Seventh-day Adventist. Why'd they come up with breakfast cereals? There's a myriad of reasons, but one was to keep people from eating bacon, sausage, various other things for breakfast. In fact, some even thought that, you know, if these men eat pork, they'll be sexually charged and hard to handle. So you take it away from them, and they'll be good. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, yes. Be circumcised, no. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized. No. No. Sorry, Church of Christ and others. That's not a necessity. That's something we do because we are saved, but not to be saved. Because that's another gospel. Because the gospel is what Christ has done, not what we do. And we always have to keep that in mind. There's a law-gospel distinction that always seems to fall to the wayside. But we're saved by what Christ has done, not what we do. What we do is because of what Christ has done for us. So someone comes and brings a message of salvation through belief in Christ plus this or that, baptism, tongues, whatever, they want to add on to it. The truth is, and it's always going to be worth fighting for, that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone through his word alone, by scripture alone. It's something we've said any number of times, and maybe some people say, you've said that a lot. I can't say it enough because it's so easily forgotten. So often it is that somebody will say, yes, I believe that truth. That is so great. And two hours later, they're trying to do something to make themselves acceptable to God. All around us, the gospel gets distorted, perverted. And because you know, the most popular movement in evangelicalism is the word faith, the, the prosperity kind of thing. That shows us the greediness that exists pretty much in our country as far as, well, you know, God's going to make me rich. No, he's not. No, no, it's not that. That's, if that's what your religion is, that I'm here to worship God and I'm here to give because he's going to give back to me, that's not a religion. That's not true religion. That's worship of mammon, which is a whole lot of trouble there. It is by faith alone in Christ alone. Someone teaches 
Something must be added to faith in Christ. You've got to do this. You've got to do these things for God to bless you. Does that mindset bother anybody but me? That I'm going to do my good things so boom, I can move God so he'll do things for me. It's lunacy. Again, we're teaching that we have an unchangeable God. What makes you think you're going to change him? And if you can change him, where does that put you? I changed God. So I'm here. He's there. Peter calmly and caringly recounts all that took place. You see, Peter had once been where they are now. But God in his grace changed him. And if you're here today and God has changed you by his grace, then we can never look at sinners and be repulsed. For we know what it was like to be lost. And we can never look down at those who are weak in faith. For we are only what we are by the grace of God. Just quickly note two things here in chapter 11, verse 17. Peter, as he's finishing up his defense, which seems awful strange that he has to give a defense for people coming to Christ. Notice the wording here. It's very important. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? If therefore what? God gave them the same gift. Not if they had earned it, but God gave them. That's grace. And then in verse 18, as he finishes, the last thing he says in his defense is this. Then God has what? Also granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. Grant. Again, something they hadn't earned. A gift from God. A grant is something you don't earn. It's a gift. And God has gifted the Gentiles repentance to life. Repentance to life is a saving gift from God. We never own salvation. We never earn it. All we do is receive it as a gift from God who even by his spirit has made us willing to receive it. Friends, here's the focal point of our history. The turning of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit Gentiles or as I perceive in this room today I don't think there's anybody of Hebrew extraction we're all of Gentile stock and our place in the church truly begins at this point an amazing time and amazing work of God's grace why we are here today.
Let's stand together for prayer.